First this, God created the heavens and the earth. All you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. God spoke light, and light appeared. God saw that light was good and separated light from dark. God named the light day. He named the dark night. It was evening, and it was morning. Day one. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The message. 1. Before I met Casey, I used to envision this idealized adult life. I had a beautiful wife, usually blonde in my mind's eye. I had a beautiful modern home. I envisioned coming home late from some splendid event, an orchestra or a concert of some kind maybe, taking off my tie in our marble white kitchen while my wife took off her heels, a stereotypical television version of late night adult routines. We had beautiful kids asleep upstairs. I imagined us both having jobs we loved and in which we made very good money. We had a good family life as well. But what blinding light prevented me from seeing and embracing such a heaven? In all the success, in all of the hearth, in all of the perfection, God was never there. It was neither that I rejected him outright, nor that I followed him consistently. It was that he was simply not in my thoughts or my heart at all. If religion or church in the fantasy were ever to show up, it'd only be in some friend's beautiful wedding. It isn't even that I envisioned us being mean or rude to those with less or unkind to people while we indulged in our every desire or vice. No. To the contrary, I never envisioned drugs, alcohol, lots of raucous sex, or corporate scheming for my or my wife's job. It was that the poor, the needy, and the wounded were not in my thoughts at all. If there can be a world where one can avoid detecting the suffering of others, there can only then be a world where one has cut himself off from the very people who need him most the least of these his brothers and sisters. The most frightening apparition of this dream came not in the form of personified, murderous, or treacherous evil. It came in the form of the most deceiving of evils, neglect and oblivion. More tragic still, many Christians are fine with this reality because it is their reality. I used to even think that to say that I have, quote, denied myself, taken up my cross, and followed him could only come in the form of grand, fateful, emptying gestures and acts of abandon, selling all I owned, becoming a missionary and moving to Africa, or giving my life for another. And yet in this, t the tension is made quite clear to me. The only way to move past such an ensnaring fantasy is to reject it. It is to reject it and to believe Christ for his good news. It so rarely occurred to me that it takes an act of a spiritually formed and prepared will to reject what may be most satisfying and to embrace the gospel, which promises no easy path. 
The only other option is to decide that you need not believe him for his good news. At its heart, that is the reality of it. You either reject the comfort of this world or become a part of it at the expense of the needy on the sake of the kingdom that has come right among them and right among you. Strangely enough, the only fitting words I've found regarding such a hefty decision comes from General Ulysses S. Grant in a letter to President Lincoln about his campaign against Robert E. Lee in Virginia. Quote, Whatever happens, there will be no turning back. And so I have needed to come to the realization that such is sacrifice, not in some marvelous romantic fashion, though that can certainly be the temptation to view it as such, but in an epistemological sense of what defines the world. In short, we have believed Christ about this world and concerning sin and death, but also of life and life abundantly. We necessarily follow him here, rejecting merely selfish concerns and the concerns of a typically conceived great life of wealth, pleasure, enjoyment, and self-interest. Instead, we take up the shovel, the net, and the salve for the wounds of the world. We necessarily follow him here, now, and he leads us into the very heart of life itself. Without fail in recent years, I always turn back to John's famous prologue in his gospel. Quote, in him was life, and that life was the light of mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it.